verses 10 through 19. If you're using the Black Pew Bible in front of you, you'll find today's text on page 357. Once again, that is 1 Chronicles chapter 29, beginning in verse 10. Therefore, David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. But who am I, and what is my people, that we should be able to thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you, and of your own we have given you. For we are strangers before you and sojourners, as all our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow, and there is no abiding. O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and, and is all your own. I know, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. In the uprightness of my heart, I have freely offered all these things. And now I have seen your people who are present here, offering freely and joyously to you. O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers keep forever such purposes and thoughts in, your, in the hearts of your people and direct their hearts toward you. Grant to Solomon, my son, a whole heart that he may keep your commandments, your testimonies, and your statutes, performing all, and that he may build the palace for which I have made provision. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your word, for it is in your word that we take comfort and rest in. For it is your word that renews us and refreshes our souls and draws us close to you. We stand before you now and say to you the words, the words we've just heard and read. You are exalted as head above all, and we praise your glorious name. Father, right now, Father we now pray for Pastor Toby as he comes to deliver his message. Empower him with your Holy Spirit. Speak through him. We would ask you to guard our hearts and our minds from, from any and all distractions so that we may receive the message that he has for us in its fullness. And may it both challenge us and mold us into the people that you would have us to be for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, next week, is a Sunday that many who are even unbelievers feel some kind of uh, compulsion to be in church. 
and so this gives opportunity for you to be inviters. We, we gave you a few cards uh, to help facilitate that, if that would be helpful in your mailbox last week. There's some extra on the information table. Do not invite your unbelieving friend to Easter as a substitute for you talking to your friend about Jesus. Instead, invite your friend to Easter as a way of either continuing or breaking the ice of actually talking about your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in addition to next Sunday, next Sunday what you'll find, uh, insider secrets, there's no trading or any, you know, profit or here, but there are going to be books. We're actually going to give away uh, Lee Strobel, who we just did the Case for Christ uh, in our growth groups. Um, there's a little book called The Case for Easter or The Case for the Resurrection. I can't remember what the title is. It's one of those two. But there will be a stack of those on the end of every aisle. And uh, we got 400 of them uh, because they were a fantastic deal. And we're going to, everybody will get one next week. If you uh, want, you can use that to pass along to someone that you are in the midst of gospel conversation with. But also for those guests who are here, they will take it. Inside that book will be a yellow card, which will be an opportunity to sign up for a class, a course that we are going to run starting a week from this Wednesday. We're going to run the case for Christ. John Tierney's going to lead it for those who may be visiting uh, next Sunday and want to know more. For those, maybe you're a regular attender and you want to know more and you didn't get to go through that course, um, then we would invite you to do that. But I'm going to have everybody fill out the card and everybody turn it into the kiosk. There will be a place for you to say, no, I'm not going to attend, but we're all going to do it uh, just for the sake of everybody doing it, all right? And, uh, but there, those, just so that you know, those are coming next week. And even if your friend cannot come to uh, the service next Sunday, please, uh, you can go online probably and sign up for this Case for Christ uh, course. Um, if not, you'll be able to by the end of tomorrow. And uh, you can take them, send them there and have them sign up. And it's just a, a good way for you to attend with them. Don't send them apart from you. Come with them to the class. Yes, you may have just gone through it for six weeks, uh, but I think your growth group would want you evangelizing. So uh, come to the class with your friend. Go through it with them, um, and uh, that will be good. So I wanted to remind you to inform you of all that was going on uh, with regards to Easter and then the, the case for Christ afterwards. Uh, reminders are quite helpful things, aren't they? As parents, we know that uh, we probably sometimes wonder how many times we have to say something uh, before it actually becomes ingrained uh, into our children. You know, there are uh, routine reminders that we give, like brush your teeth. No, 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 brush your teeth with toothpaste. Uh, you know, say please, say thank you, clean your room. No, really, clean your room. Uh, do your chores, do your homework, those kinds of things. Um, they aren't revolutionary reminders, they're just routine, right? But they're, they're reminders that are the normal responsibilities of life. And in the normal Christian life, we need reminders. I mean, we need brush your teeth, clean your room kinds of reminders. It's part of the reason why we take the Lord's Supper every month is because we need the reminder that our right standing with God doesn't rest on us. It rests on the death of the Lord Jesus Christ for us, His resurrection for us. Uh, but just last week in our Sunday school hour, we had one of these reminders, right? It was not a revolutionary reminder to be reminded that, oh yes, 
Christians should be about the business of sharing the gospel, that we need to be committed to evangelism. This is not a revolutionary idea that we don't just need to be getting the gospel to the ends of the earth. We need to be committed to getting the gospel to the end of the street. I wonder how much thinking you've done on that this week. I wonder how much evaluating of your uh, relationships and your evangelistic activity you have done. Um, if the answer is none, I pray that you will change. I pray that you will repent of not doing anything. We need together to be about the business of reaching as many possible people with the gospel as, hum- as, as, we, as we can. And our reach is limited, and our circles, uh, some circles are larger and some circles are smaller. But who are the unbelieving friends in your life now that, that you just need to be recommitted once again to sharing the gospel with? Those kinds of gospel reminders. If you weren't here for Sunday school, we did uh, email out a link that you can listen to the conversation from uh, last Sunday. There are, also should be some of the prayer guides that are mentioned, uh, both on the information desk and uh, in the cafe. Today is just another basic reminder. We're kind of uh, in between. We just finished a series in Ephesians 1, verses 3 to 14. Next week, uh, we will be in 1 Corinthians 15, being reminded of the centrality of the resurrection to our faith. And then on uh, April 8th, there will be, next week, there should be new uh, sermon series cards out. Um, But April 8th, we will begin a four-week series in the book of Habakkuk and talk about trusting God in troubled times. And so, um, it's a good place to bring your friends as well. Uh, and we hope that those, if those cards are just completely useful, if they are useful to you, it would be helpful to know that. If they are not useful in, in equipping you to uh, uh, invite other folks, well, that would be useful to know as well because it takes time and energy and there are resources that go into printing those. Um, but uh, anyway, so today's basic reminder is about giving. I look back, it's been about five years since we talked about stewardship in any focused capacity, uh, which is a long time. I mean, we need reminders more often than that. Uh, we've talked about it in one, in one way or another, but not just looked at the text of the Bible for this reminder. Sometimes when we get reminders like this, uh, we are actually just invigorated to keep doing what we're doing, don't we? I mean, when we get reminders, sometimes we're doing that, and it's an encouragement to hear the Bible say, you should be doing that, and it just re-energizes us to keep going. And sometimes we get reminders from the Bible um, that are more convicting than they are encouraging because that hasn't been a priority for me, because that has not been a discipline I've participated in. And for some of you, maybe you've never thought about where giving lies within the Christian life. And today I pray that this will help you and and not just help you think, but help you uh, to begin uh, a life of faithful giving. Giving lies within uh, the doctrine of stewardship, uh, which a steward is someone who manages someone else's stuff. So if you've ever borrowed a car or run to the grocery store for mom or... Uh, you've ever house sat, uh, you know, you've been a steward of one kind or another where what you were doing, the cash you were carrying to the grocery store didn't belong to you, but you were to take it and be faithful in getting uh, 
what was to be gotten at the grocery store. And uh, that is, we are called to be stewards of everything that we have. And part of that stewardship is in giving. And that's where we come to this text in 1 Chronicles 29. Just before this, by the way, if we had had time, we would have gone all the way back to chapter 28, verse 1, uh, and just read through. Solomon, David uh, charges Solomon, and he charges the people uh, to say, he just basically tells the people, look, Solomon is young, and he has no idea what he's doing, and so... uh, Let's honor the Lord. I mean, that's essentially what he says. And then uh, he goes on to give uh, himself to the building of the temple, which will be Solomon's uh, doing. And, uh, and then, the, then he invites the people to join in, and they join in, and there is this massive mound of wealth ready to be invested into the building of the temple. The temple, as you know, is the place where God met with his people, where they came to worship him, to make sacrifice of atonement. Literally, one person says it's where heaven touched earth. That's where heaven and earth met, was at the temple. And uh, Jesus came, and he said, and his body is the temple, according to John 2. Jesus is actually the fulfillment of the place where heaven touches earth. But here they are building the temple. And through David's prayer, here's what we learn. That God provides for his work through His people. God provides for His work through His people. God provides for the building of the temple, which was His work through the people of that day, and God provides for His work today through our giving. God provides for ministries. God provides for missionary partnerships. God provides for pastors to be set apart for full-time work. God provides this building that facilitates much of the ministry that we do. God has provided these things through His people. And so that's what we want to think about today as we come to just ponder David's prayer. The first thing we notice, the thing that should jump out and just hit us right in the face immediately is the source of provision. The source of provision. If we, if we were to read... It really is quite a scene. The, the, the offering is pouring in. And because of the different ways to measure wealth, it is difficult for us to wrap our minds around how big a mound of wealth and money this really is. This is ginormous. I don't know if that's a word, but I like to say it sometimes. It's, it's huge. It's, it's, it's difficult to imagine. David... And probably with a bunch of his servants, by the time you read, you know, when you know that a talent is about 75 pounds, and then he's got 3,000 talents of this and 7,000 talents of that, he's not lugging it on his back. He's not opening up his wallet and handing it over. It's him and a small army carrying in this offering that he is going to bring. And he brings it, and he makes a mound of it and the crowd joins in you know one man brings some iron and his wife brings some gold and their neighbor contributes some silver and the lady down the street brings some precious jewels uh, to add to it and one by one people come and give to the treasury and everybody's in on this and the giving ends and well if this was a Baptist church everybody goes to eat while a few men count the money all right so a few men go and they, they meticulously count the money. 
And they come back, and David is there, and he's in front of the microphone where everybody's eating their fried chicken. And the man comes in with his eyes wide, and he's scratching his head, and he hands a slip of paper to David with the number on it. And in today's prices, we're somewhere around $12 billion. And when you think about all that was overlaid with gold and all that was, I mean, like the lampstands in the temple were half a million apiece. You know, and David's heart just explodes with joy and the crowd's jaw collectively drops, right? Where did they get that kind of money? Answer, God. That's David's answer. He is the source of their provision. And there are a couple of truths about the God who provides provision for His work that we see here. First of all, God lacks nothing. God lacks nothing. Look at verses 10 and 11. <coughs> David, bless the Lord. Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is Yours, yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head over all. In God's sweet providence, we just finished a study where Paul explodes with blessing for the Lord and then explains why. And here we see David blessing the Lord. And he tells us why. And it all starts with this little phrase, yours is. God possesses all of the qualities that we see here, and He possesses them in their fullness and in their perfection. There is nothing lacking in God. He says, yours is the greatness, meaning God is superior and prominent, not just above mankind, but above all the gods of all the other nations. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the one true and living God. And there is none like Him. Yours is the power. This is a reference to physical strength. God is the one who has fought for them. They, they should have a memory, the fact that David has defeated enemies, the fact that they won battles coming in, things like, uh, Joshua fighting the battle of Jericho. Fighting has to be in quotation marks, right? Uh, I mean, that's whenever you sing that song, that's what you should do. Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. Joshua fought the battle, of, right? Because, I mean, Joshua walks around. God fights it. God knocks it down. There is no fighting without God knocking down those walls. God gives them victory after victory. God takes Midian and says, your army's too big. Because if your army's this big, you guys are going to think you did pretty good. So if anybody's afraid, send them home. And if anybody does this, send them home. And eventually it gets to the place where it's ridiculous. 
It's just ridiculous. It would be like going into a nuclear battle with a Nerf gun. And God wipes out the Midianites. His is the strength. Don't trust, don't trust in horses. Don't trust in princes. Trust in the name of the Lord your God. That's actually why in 2 Corinthians 1, Paul says that we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength, it was as if a death sentence had been passed on us. Why would God ever do that? Why would God ever bring such burden into our lives that it is beyond our strength? Because yours is the power. That's why. To teach us, Paul says, that was to teach us not to rely on our to rely not on ourselves, but on the God who raises the dead. Not merely the God who keeps us from dying, brothers and sisters. The God who raises the dead. Yours is the power. Yours is the glory. The Lord is magnificent in his splendor. It brings to mind the song, You are beautiful beyond description, too marvelous for words, too wonderful for comprehension, like nothing ever seen or heard. Who can grasp your infinite wisdom? Who can fathom the depths of your love? Who, who, who has given counsel to the Lord? If you want a reminder of the greatness of the splendor of God, just go to Isaiah 40 this afternoon and just read. Who is it that's held the waters in the hollow of his hand? I remember taking a... Uh, the, the first day that I was uh, uh, on the job, if you will, as a youth pastor for the church I served up in Marion, they were actually, they had just arrived at a mission trip, and I was meeting them there, down in Panama City or somewhere, some beach somewhere. So I opened up to Isaiah 40. These are the first words I ever spoke to them. We're out on the beach, and I said, all right, I want everybody to go out into the ocean. I want you to get as much water as you possibly can in your hands, and I want you to bring it back. So they go down and they scoop up as much water. And they, I said, yeah, you can use two hands. That's cheating. But you can use two hands, all right? So they, they, like, they come back and their hands, I mean, they're just damp, right? I mean, there's no puddle in their hands by the time because that water just finds its way through cracks. And I said, okay, just look. Look, this little bitty bit, I think I could hold about, you know, a teaspoon of water maybe. The God that we serve holds all of the water in all of the oceans and all of the lakes and all of the rivers, including the water that's remaining in our showers from this morning, in his hand. In what we see as a teaspoon. Yours is the glory. God lacks nothing. Yours is the victory. The word there actually just means a high honor, like the victor coming back from the battle. 
that high honor, but his honor never diminishes. You know, the ticker tape parades that we have for every champion of every sport, right? Those come and they go and then it's over. The ticker tape parade for the greatness of God never ends. His is the victory. His is the majesty. He inspires reverence and awe. And then David says, All that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. He just sums it up because probably he could go on forever. Everything is yours. Everything is yours. Everything is yours. God lacks nothing in character or in provision. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein, Psalm 24. Psalm 50, every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field. If I were hungry, and I'm not, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. Dear friends, God is not sitting on an off-ramp or a street corner with a cardboard sign begging for money he doesn't have. He lacks nothing. There's never a moment in God's existence they said, oh man, I wish I had that. Never. If he has everything, if he has everything, even the things that we think we have, he must be the source of it all. He is the source of it all. God gives, that's the second thing to notice here, is God gives everything that we have. <coughs> if you look at verse 12, both riches and honor come from you and you rule over all. Verse 16, all this abundance is from your holy hand. Your hand. It's all your own. All this abundance that we give, it's all your own. Anything that we have has been given. What, 1 Corinthians 4, 7 asks, what, what do you have that you have not been given, that you have not received? Everything laying in this massive $12 billion offering already belonged to God. And it was given to these people for His glory, for His purposes, for His work. So that Deuteronomy 8 says, Beware lest you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the power to get wealth. So, you know, kids, when you start a lemonade stand and you finally raise the money for that bike, it is not 
ultimately because of your work. It's because God gave you the power to do that work. You get a raise, yes. It's a meritorious raise. But who gave you the power to get the merit in that company? Who gave you the skills? Who developed you? Who gave you the opportunities? Who gave you favor with the boss? You have a business. Your business grows. Why is that? Well, we work really hard. Yes, you do. And who gives you the power? And who gives you the energy? And who gives you the ideas? And who gave you the intellect? And who gives you the physical strength to do any of it? Well, that's not me. I'm just barely making ends meet. Who do you think gave you the power to make ends meet? Who do you think gave it to you? Who do you think gave you the energy and the ideas and the creativity to go after that second job or go after that? Dear friends, everything we have is from Him. Doesn't that change everything? It should. It should. There should be an asterisk beside every mine that we ever say. Not because we can't speak that way, but because we need to check the footnote, Deuteronomy 8. This house is mine, asterisk. This car is mine, asterisk. This job is mine. Check the footnote. Everything belongs to God. He is the source of provision, not just for our lives, right? Not just for our grocery budgets, not just for our mortgages, not just for our utility bills. God is the source of provision so that we can give to His work, to worship Him, to honor Him. He enables us to give. He doesn't even just give us the heart to want to give. He gives us the money in the wallet and the heart to want to give so that we give. And it doesn't matter if it's the widow's might or if it's the rich man's wealth. He's given it for his purposes. Some of those purposes are met as we provide for our family, as we feed our children, as we pay the mortgage, as we do... But look... Uh, there was a guy once who came to me. I told this story in the membership class. I can't remember why, but I told it anyway. He comes to me. We're, I'm serving in Nashville, and he comes to me, and he says, well, I really, it was after, I think, a week that we were emphasizing uh, uh, stewardship and giving, and he comes, and he says, um, I mean, I really want to give this week, but I also have to pay my electric bill. What should I do? I just looked at him and said, I'm not going to answer your question. <laughs> Because there have been times I've done one and times I did the other. And the Lord's been faithful in both. Why would you want to do one over the other? That's the question that needed to be asked that I didn't ask him. I mean, pay your electric bill, all right? Please do. But dear friends, don't think that the provision of God is simply that you are a reservoir of the provision of God. You are a conduit of the provision of God. When that person at that gas station that tells you that story, and you just in faith just trust the Lord and give, you're just a conduit of blessing to that person. 
as you give week in and week out, and Gray, Gray Road Baptist Church is one of the most faithfully giving congregations I've ever known. I won't go into all the stats, but if you, you should have been at October's members' meetings. You should come to members' meetings. We actually say things there that you, sh that you should hear. But dear friends, in the midst of times when even our attendance has declined, giving has remained steady. How does that happen? That happens because God has blessed our congregation with a spirit of giving. There's never been a need that we've brought suddenly out of the blue that hasn't been met by the generosity that God has instilled and the provision that God has given through you. And it brings no glory to this church. It just means this congregation is a place where we are seeking by faith to glorify God in our giving. I praise the Lord for that. You see, we... Even when we do that, we don't give our money week by week, right? I mean, if we started thinking that way, how much of my money can I give to God's work this week? That's the wrong way of thinking. How much of God's money needs to go directly to gospel work this week? Look, fathers, it is God's work for you to provide for your family. It is. It is. Don't hear me saying anything else. It's not like God's work is the church giving and there's some other kind of work. We don't, we don't want to distinguish between the sacred and the secular. Clothing your children is the Lord's work. Feeding your children is the Lord's work. Paying for their education, the Lord's work. All of that, as you're able. But when, we, when it comes to gospel giving, whether it's supporting a, a missionary, whether you're contemplating whether to, you know, individually support uh, the Sanfords on an ongoing basis or whether you want to support one thing or another on a short-term basis or when you think about the Good Friday offering when we're giving to the outfit and passage of both the Sanfords and uh, Lynette Circle from Franklin Road. Let, let's not be thinking, how much of my money can I give? Let's be thinking, how much money has God provided that I am able to advance gospel work with. It's a whole different way of thinking about giving, isn't it? whole different way. God is the source of provision. The means of provision is the second thing that we see here. God is the source, but God has an ordained means, a specific way to get the provision from His hand to His work. And God's means, God's method, is our giving. I don't know if you, growing up in, if, if you grew up in church, maybe this happened with your mom. With my grandmother, Jojo, uh, every week we would go, I would go to her church. Uh, when dad was a single dad, we'd drive an hour and a half for the weekend so that dad could like have a breather for 48 hours, and then we'd go back home. And I would, we, we would always go, dad, uh, my brother and I would always go to church with her. And at the beginning of the service, I got two things every week. A stick of, of Wrigley's Spearmint Gum. There's a drawer in her house that still smells like it. That actually my aunt who lives there now stocks it with the same Wrigley Spearmint gum so that you can smell You just open it and it, it's, it's better than, you know, Scentsy or whatever else, you know, fills the room with uh, Spearmint smell. 
I always got a stick of spearmint gum and I got a quarter. The spearmint gum was to keep my mouth from doing other things than, <laughs> I mean, it was just to keep, keep a, uh, you know, a six, seven, eight-year-old kid busy um, during the service. And the quarter was to keep my hand busy until the offering came. And when the offering came, I got to put it in. And I felt pretty good about that. I got to give. But I'm just the means in that picture, aren't I? Jojo gave it to me so that I would give it. And that's how, that's how David actually sees their giving. Is that they are the conduits through which God is accomplishing His work. He puts financial means into our hands and one great purpose for those finances is to provide for his work. Now, of course, spiritual uh, giving is a spiritual discipline. It, it is a must. Christians are not to be stingy folk. We are to be givers. We are born again with the spirit of a giving God. And so we ought to be giving. And yes, it's better to give than to receive. But really, giving is not just a duty. Listen to this. Giving is an invitation into being a vital part of God's work. When you go online and use the online giving, when you write a check and you put it in, when you fold the bills and put it in, kids, when you drop the coins in from whatever it is that you earned, that doing that, the compulsion to do that, should be a compulsion into, I am being invited. That, that plate, that online opportunity that is an invitation for me to be a vital part of getting God's work done and it is something every single one of us can do it does not take a particular gift you don't have a need a spiritual gift in order to do that you just need the spirit we have this awesome opportunity to be part of accomplishing God's purpose, of supplying for His ministry, of advancing His kingdom. And when we see our giving that way as a divine invitation to do God's work, then our giving is transformed. And we see the qualities of, that ought to mark our giving in David's prayer. First of all, it should be humble giving. Humble giving. In this text, David is not proud of the giving that they've done. He's not patting anybody on the back. He's not making little placards to hang up in the temple that says, This lampstand provided by the Joneses. Look at what he says in verse 14 Who am I? This is right after he says, Yours is the everything. I'm not going to say it all again. Yours is the everything. And it's all yours. So then that, that begs the question, who am I? And what is my people that we should be able to thus offer willingly? For all things come from you, and of your own we have given you. For we are strangers before you and sojourners. That is really strange for David to say that. I mean, when you're reading the Bible and things like that come, you should both, why would he say that? God had just given them the land. They were residents. 
They had that land. That land was theirs. Ah, but not if you remember the law about the year of Jubilee, right? Everything went back. Why? Because God said, the land is mine. And so David has this proper understanding of even the real estate that he has, he, of they have. He says, we are just sojourners and strangers here. We are like a shadow that doesn't abide. Who are we? Let me ask you a question. Who, who are we that we get to be part of God's work by giving? Who, who are you? Who am I? That we should get this incredible invitation into accomplishing God's work. Through all of life, isn't it? Through our good deeds which shine before men so that they see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. Through our words as we speak with gentleness and respect, giving a reason for the hope that is within us. And through our giving. That's why we can say that we are doing work in South Africa through the Shingletons. It's not to boost us up, it's because we, we took the invitation to be part of accomplishing God's work there. That's why. But it should be humble giving. In fact, a, a proper understanding of giving should not have us looking for the spotlight. It should have us looking for the shadow that we can stand in. Jesus actually went farther to say, look, if you look for, if you're looking for the spotlight, if you're looking for someone to, to acknowledge the check that you've written, if you're looking for the plaque to commemorate your gift... You're looking for the wrong reward. He says in Matthew 6, When you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. What was their reward? The praise of others. That was their reward. But when you give to the needy, don't let your right left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Who would you rather reward you? This congregation as we applaud your gift? Or the Lord who has everything? Our giving should be humble giving. I mean, so humble that the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing. It's really quite something. And it, we're not, it's not humble giving because our giving is unimportant. I mean, even in this prayer, David says in verse 16, all this abundance that we have provided... At the end of verse 19, for which I have made provision. Look, if you and I don't give, there will be no provision. We must feel the weight of the responsibility to give. 
But humility reminds us that verse 14, of your own have we given you. We gave, but it's of your own that we have given you. We're bringing nothing to the table here except what was already yours. All our giving is supplied and empowered by God, so it must be humble giving. Secondly, we see that it is, that was my fault, don't, don't mute my mic, uh, that it's voluntary giving. That shows up three times in this prayer. Look at verse 14. Who am I and what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? Then in verse 17, the first part, in the uprightness of my heart I have freely offered. And then at the end, uh, speaking of the people, offering freely. They're all the same word in Hebrew. It means to make a decision or make a contribution voluntarily. In other words, David's not cracking the whip. David's not, you know, how we would caricature this. David's not passing the plate until he gets a number that he likes. We're not leaving this room. Ushers, barricade the doors until we get the offering that I think we need to pick up. David is not cracking the whip. David is not going after them. David is not laying a guilt trip. David is not mandating the giving as a kind of tax. In fact, if you look back at chapter 29, verse 5, you will see, David just asks, Who then will offer willingly, consecrating himself today to the Lord? You see, the soul that belongs to God does not need to be coerced into giving. It does not need clever tactics. It does not need a cry of desperation. All that soul needs is to know that my giving is from the Lord and to the Lord and for the Lord. If you find yourself needing to be coerced in order to be more generous, this is not a mark of godliness. It's a place where we need to repent. It's not actually a bad thing. I mean, this brings up question about habit. I mean, many of us give because it's our habit to give. It's not a bad thing that giving is a habit. It's actually a gift, I think, that God has given us an incredible capacity to develop habits. But the Christian's giving shouldn't be like many middle school boys' hygiene, accomplished only by force and with grunting the whole time. I guess I'll take a shower. If you have younger children, you just wait. It's coming. Whenever we would go on a youth trip, I told the, the men who stayed in the, the hallway with the junior high boys that their, one of their main tasks every day was to make sure that at some point during the day, those boys took a shower, used soap, and applied deodorant. Because if you, you, that is a place where you have to crack the whip, all right? But giving shouldn't be like that. There should be no whip cracking. Second Corinthians 9 says, not reluctantly or under compulsion. I mean, we should, 
We should willingly apply the fragrance of generosity to avoid the stench of stinginess. There should be an aroma of generosity that fills the people of God. It should be voluntary. It should be wholehearted. The heart is the control center of life and giving must not be divided or torn. It must be at peace. Proverbs 4 says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. In verse 9, just before our text, the narrator tells us, With a whole heart they had offered freely. And then David recognizes in verse 17 that God tests the heart. And then David prays in verse 18 and 19 that the Lord will keep their heart. Because our giving must be wholehearted. We must not give with a divided heart, with a divided mind, with a begrudging attitude. It must be wholehearted. What are some wrong attitudes? Well, one, th- one wrong attitude is that as we're giving, we have the thought, oh man, just think what else I could be doing with this. It's wrong. It's a wrong-hearted attitude for us to think that our giving in the congregation of God's people is meant to be an expression of our approval or disapproval of leadership or ministries or whatever it is. Well, things are going well, I'll give more. Oh, things aren't going like I'd like them to, I'm going to give less. Oh, Toby is still the pastor after eight and a half years. Why are you laughing? Look, you ask any, any you, you ask kind of church, people who study the church, and they'll tell you that people vote with, their, with, with where they sit and where they give. And I'm telling you, both are wrong ways to view both. Even if it's a measurable thing to say, you and I should not be coming to offering the money that God has given us back to him. We should not come to that with, well, let's see how I feel about the church this week. We don't give based on how we feel about the church. We give based on who God is and what he has done for us in Christ. Thirdly, our giving is not meritorious. If we begin to think that our giving uh, earns us credit with God, this is a wrong heart attitude. Our things have gone completely off the rails because no amount of generosity earns credit with God. No amount. We must have whole hearts set on worshiping the Lord, joining Him in His work, His mission, building His kingdom. The fourth thing we see about giving, okay, so it's, it's humble, it's voluntary, it's wholehearted. Fourth, it's joyful. Look at verse 9. The people rejoiced because they had given willingly. For with a whole heart they had offered freely to the Lord, David the king also rejoiced. And then in verse 17, David says they had joyously given. God loves a cheerful giver. It's compelling that joy is a fruit of the Spirit, but God ripens the fruit, that fruit of the Spirit in the most unusual of places. Places like trials, where we are to count it all joy. When we face them, God ripens the fruit of joy in giving that it is more 
blessed to give than to receive. And joy will only blossom in our giving as we give humbly and voluntarily and wholeheartedly. Here's the problem. Look, do you know what, what kind of giving we're bent to if we're giving it all? We, we are bent to proud, begrudging, double-minded, grumpy giving. That is the bent of human nature. It is away from the things that the Lord says honors Him in giving. And the only way that that can be transformed is by looking to the one who, though he was rich, yet became poor for our sake, so that by his poverty we might become rich. Jesus Christ left the glories, the riches of heaven to come to this poverty, bankruptcy-riddled earth, to take our debt, our bankruptcy on the cross, So that when we turn from the sin that bankrupts our souls and embrace Jesus Christ by faith, we're set free from spiritual bankruptcy, we are made rich in His righteousness, and we are made ready for heaven. And that changes everything. You want to be a better giver? Just nod your head yes. You want to be a better giver? Study the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Study the indescribable gift that has been given to you and to me in salvation through faith in Christ. Study your bankruptcy and sin. Study the riches of the glory of God in providing Christ. Study justification. And dear friend, if that doesn't transform your heart, then I would dare say you don't belong to Jesus at all. And you need to come to Him in repentance and faith. It changes everything. Because God provided for His salvation through His person, Jesus Christ. And now God provides for His ongoing work through his people, those who have been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness and kindness toward us. We thank you that you are a giving God. Nothing in us obliges you to give to us. Yet you have given more than we could possibly imagine in the Lord Jesus Christ. Forgiveness of sin righteousness in your sight, eternity in heaven. I pray that you will encourage those who are faithfully giving, encourage them to stay the course, encourage them to grow in generosity, encourage them to excel in the grace of giving. And I pray you'll bring conviction on those who are not giving or who have neglected or who see their money as their own. Help us, Lord, to honor you. You are the source of all provision. Help us to be faithful means of your provision 
getting to your work for your glory, the advance of your kingdom, in the preaching of your Son to reach your ends, being the salvation of the world. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.